Hey guys, welcome to The Big Reset, where we focus on reaching every student every time. I'm your host, Julie Springer, and I'm so excited to be part of your professional learning community. Today, we're going to be talking with some guests about how universal design for learning makes a difference in the classrooms and schools where they are. We'll get some insight from them on how well this framework for teaching is working in their classrooms. Let's do this thing. Good to see you guys. How are y'all today? Good, thank you. Doing really good, thanks. So I'm going to let you introduce yourselves and kind of tell you what your job is around here. I'm Laura Springer. I'm principal at Coppell High School. And I am Melissa Arnold, and I'm the associate principal at Coppell High School. All right. Well, I'm so glad to have y'all here today. Um, today, I want to talk about universal design for learning and kind of your vision that you see for the school. But before we get back to that, I want to talk just UDL in general. One of the questions I've asked everybody that's on the podcast is, why start with the why? Why is that why so important in our classrooms? I think that's what drives learning. That's what drives, it's what drives good learning. I think sometimes we just come into a room with a plan without thinking of our kids or the needs of our plan. We're going to make the plan we have fit uh, the kids in the room and make them adjust to us. What I like about UDL is us adjusting to kids, us finding out and, and our why is because we want every kid in that room to come in and enjoy education and not hate school because they can't be successful at it. So our why is kids, and it should always be kids. And everything we do and every design we do should be about kids learning, kids being successful, kids uh, having joy in the learning process. And you don't see a lot of that anymore. So that's that's why the why is important to me. It's all about the kids. I also think in today's generation, they're thinkers. They like to have buy-in. They like to understand where they're going. And so utilizing UDL and utilizing the understanding the why of this activity allows those kids to really truly dig deep into the learning and allows the experience that they're getting from the activities to be meaningful, authentic, and they're going to learn at such deeper levels because of what we're doing here with UDL. When you're talking with a teacher and you talk about reverse design, kind of tell me what you want to see when you have when you're talking to teachers about reverse design. I think that's it's the way we should always have been designing lessons. Uh, if you don't start with the end in mind, if you don't know where you're going, you're just going down a path, and that path could possibly be something that's successful or it's not. If we want success, we want to find out what is the one product we want to get from this kid that shows us that they know more than anything else about the teaks we've covered, about the objectives we were trying to uh, achieve, uh, and about the learning that we want from them in the end. And that learning doesn't have to be uh, created to a point that it is one size fits all, one way, you can only show me this way. I love the 
uh, start with the end in mind because that's how you develop your activities. That's how you develop the ways you're going to uh, make the path to the journey of learning. Uh, and it, it saddens me that we have people that do not, they, they start with the end in mind, but they get off task because they're so worried about content coverage and things that are so unimportant that they forget what their objective is and what that learning should look like at the end. So a good teacher, a teacher who really understands kids and the learning, is always going to start with the first design. I think it keeps you focused. You know, so many times we complain about we don't have enough time, we don't have enough time, we don't have enough time. But a lot of the times when we say that, it's of our own nature. So if you begin with the end in mind, and you start with building whatever assessment is going to be, whether it be a project or it be an actual exam or it be an essay um, or someone's learning something or another, it just allows you the opportunity then to go backwards to see how am I going to get here? And is this activity that I'm doing focused on the assessment or focused on the standards that this assessment is, is centered around? You know, I think about back when I was in the classroom, I did so many things that were fun. We had a great time in my classroom. Um, especially in the early years, because I'd be like, oh, this is really neat. I would enjoy doing this project. I would enjoy standing up on this bridge and acting out Romeo and Juliet's um, famous <laughs> scene, but why? Um, because it had nothing to do with what we were actually learning at the time. We just had a lot of fun. Um, and so if you begin with that end in mind, all of your activities, you ask yourself the question of, is this tied to this, to this ending? And if not, then you don't do it. And you find yourself buying that time to be able to have those meaningful activities, to be able to have those one-on-one -on -one writing conferences, to be able to really offer the feedback that the kids need on those standards in order to truly be able to master what you're trying to do with that assessment. And I like what Melissa said about the activities because I think a lot of times as an administrator, when you go in to do evaluations, when you go in to do walkthroughs, watching classrooms, you see a lot of fun activities. The problem is the activity has nothing to do with the content you're trying to teach. You just wanted the kids to have a fun day. Uh, so I, that start with the end in mind is so important because you lay that trail and you need to follow that trail. You put that trail in place for men. The only thing you would deviate from would be understanding your kids are not getting what you're trying to get them and you slow down or you build something else in to scaffold up to get them where they need to go. Well, I like what you just said there. Thinking about our theme this year, reset. Reaching every student every time. How does that tie into UDL? I think that's what UDL is all about. It is the whole. When I first read and started reading Katie Novak's stuff about UDL, it, it fed my heart because it, it was about what I knew we were going to need, especially coming off of 18 months of not being face to face with kids and not really understanding uh, where they're at and what we need to do. But even before that, I think we've got so many kids who who play school, who come in and, and try to do what we ask them to do while they're not learning. They're just regurgitating facts to us. Uh, so I like the UDL with the choice and the voice, but and also a teacher having to really look and do a needs assessment of a classroom to know, how can I best help this student? This is how they learn best. What am I designing to make sure that they can use that to show me their learning as opposed to we're going to take a multiple choice test, uh, and some kids can't do a multiple choice test. They freak out. They have anxiety. They're, they don't have enough uh, ability to understand the question even because their reading lack of reading skills. Uh, there's just so many things about you that I love because it builds uh, bridges for kids. And to me, 
That's what our goal is as a teacher, is to build a bridge for every single kid to get where they need to get according to how we're designing our learning. It's removing barriers. I think that's what I get most out of UDL. You know, at the very beginning of reading the UDL Now book, she spoke, Katie focuses a lot on the importance of removing those barriers. And when we can remove those barriers in the classroom, every single kid is going to be reached every single time. I think about my own child, you know, she has dyslexia, and during the pandemic, I got the opportunity to watch her do some homeschool, because she was a home to the school, right? And I remember sitting at the kitchen table talking one day, and her telling me all about this assignment that she had for one of her classes, and she could tell me everything. I mean, she 100% understood the, the, the standards that were being assessed. We got her score back on her multiple choice test, and she failed it. And I remember thinking, that's not right. She knows this stuff. So reaching out to her teacher, being in the middle of a pandemic, her teacher said, let's pop on Zoom and she can just do a couple of oral questions with me and we'll see how she's feeling. That child could tell you everything about those standards in that way. And so when I read Katie's book, I thought that's the example that I want to use because removing that barrier, that multiple choice question test for a dyslexic child who struggles to read and allowing her the opportunity to verbalize the standards she gets it and that's what we want to say we want to be able to see that kids have the opportunity to show their understanding of the material and that and and UDL allows that to happen. Looking at our students that do have disabilities I really like the way UDL really reaches down to them. Let's talk about how it reaches up to those kids that are at that higher level and what kind of impact UDL can have. I think that's the problem that we face is that teachers that are teaching advanced classes believe they don't need UDL. They believe that uh, those kids are going to, we've got wonderfully compliant kids in this building. They're going to go in those upper level classrooms. You're going to tell them to do XYZ. They're going to do XYZ and they're going to be satisfied and happy because you have not challenged them at all. I can be in this room and get my A without having to really think, work hard, or do what I need to do critically. Uh, what I like about UDL is by, and, and, this, and I've seen this happen in classrooms with great teachers, is you're going to lay the foundation of what you want them to learn, but you're going to let them choose the path they get there to learn that and even extend that path if they want to, to create something that you never even thought about they might create before you started the process. And really, isn't that what we're going to get ready for in our world? Uh, There's no, it's not the industrial age anymore. We're in a critical thinking stage. And over and over again, you hear uh, bosses coming back and saying, we're not, I'm getting kids that I have to hold their hand through every single thing they do and tell them every move they need to make. Well, UDL for me is a uh, opportunity for our kids to learn, to think on their own, to understand on their own, to create on their own. And that's where I want to get them. I want to get them to the top of that uh, web's depth of knowledge, that blooms taxonomy top top tier where we're creating, where we're building, where we're thinking of things we didn't even think about they might even get to. Uh, and that's what UDL does for us also with that choice and voice. I think about Jody Dynamer in our science uh, department. And, you know, when she first started this process, it's been so many years ago, this is before she went to East of you and came back to us. She uh, would sit in her class at the very beginning of the year and she would say, all right, this is what we're going to learn this year. Let's build it. And so to me, your upper level classes, that's how you really truly do UDL in there. This is the end. These are the standards we're going to assess. Now, how are we going to get there? And then just allowing them to have that voice. Um, 
I mean, I've never seen anything like it. They have, they take ownership of their learning and they take it to a level like no other when given the opportunity to do whatever they want with some guidance. You know, she's there to, to walk them, walk beside them and, and make sure that they're going towards that end. But they have the opportunity to really extend that learning to a degree that they never would in a regular classroom. I'm talking about that ownership that the kids have of their learning. Let's talk about the data-driven classroom. Tell me how you see data used in the classroom and the importance of that. I believe in the importance of data, but I also believe you got to be careful with data because you uh, assign a kid a personality, a how they can learn, whatever, if you're not careful with data. Data should be something that is our trail where we begin. This is where you're at. It doesn't mean this is where you're going to end up because we'll look at some of our lowest learners and we'll say, well, look, at, look at the data. It tells us that they failed, 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 failed. Uh, they're not going to pass this test. Uh, we've automatically assumed because of that trail that has already been laid that we can't change the path. And so you use it to make you a better teacher. You use data when you give them tests and 85% of your kids did not do well and you're mad because these kids just aren't studying. Could it be the fact that you're not teaching the concept in a manner that all kids are able to learn it? So it's a tool for teachers to and for their instruction and how we should uh, learn and grow through our instruction, of how to present to kids, not one size fits all, but a, a different array of learning uh, opportunities. And the second thing is, it's our it's our beginning point. It is what we see and what we know they are at at that point. And then let's see how we can change their trajectory or even grow it even higher. I agree with everything Springer just said. I think you take the data and you internalize it and make the tweaks that are needed on your instruction to be able to support the kids. Um, you know, I go back to when I was in the classroom. I, there are lessons that you think you knocked out of the park and then you get the assessment and it shows that you didn't. And when you start breaking down that data, you can see, okay, in third period I caught up this way and they totally got it. In fourth period I caught up this way and it, it struggled a little bit more. So. How can I become a better teacher because of this? Um, that's what about having students track their own data? It's awesome. I think that's a skill you should give every kid. Uh, it, it's a tool for them to understand. I think it's you can do it in two ways. I think it. I want to use it and have seen it used. I had, I had a teacher that I worked with, and she taught Read 180. Uh, and it's for every single kid that really is at least two to three years behind in their reading. I have never seen a more amazing teacher in my life teaching reading. Uh, she used, they had to track their own data all the way through uh, as they went through the class and it showed them their growth and it showed them, oh, I didn't learn this well enough. I, I, when I started going, the trajectory starts falling back down, she would use skills to show them uh, pinpoint areas that they had to do extra work in and use that as, this is why you have to do the extra work because this is showing that if you don't do that, this is a big gap you're going to have when we're trying to rise you to this next level. And it was good because it wasn't just like, just do this extra work. It showed kids and helped them walk along the trail to see, oh, that's why I have to do this. So that was another layer of the why. Absolutely. I would say students tracking their own data provides opportunities for reflection, and I personally believe that you learn the most when you reflect. Um, I have several English teams this year who have had kids set their own personal goals within reading, writing, um, and collaboration. And 
every nine weeks, they are showing through these activities that we have done, this is how I have grown in this goal. And so it's neat to sit down and look at their molds and be able to see these students are showing actual examples of work they have done and how it ties back to their goal. And then you see their reflection piece and you can see, this is where I want to go next. And I truly think when kids are tracking that, that data and they're looking at that, they have ownership of their learning more than they will when they don't. You mentioned bold. Let's talk a little bit about technology and how it ties into UDL. What are your thoughts on the use of that technology? It's, it's a kid's world. That's, yeah. that's, they are so much better at it than we are. And I think some teachers don't use it because they're uncomfortable themselves with the ability to use it. And they don't want to spend the time they need to take to learn it themselves. Because it is a, it's a separate, uh, it's, and I want to make sure I say this, because I, I don't believe technology should be your only way to instruct a classroom. It's not end-all, be-all. It is a tool you use to uh, strengthen that instruction, to allow the creativity of instruction, uh, to take it for products that you want to see. Uh, and it is some, sometimes it is the only means that kids buy into your instruction with. So use it as your friend. Use it as something to build the interest of your curriculum, to build the uh, creativity of your curriculum, as opposed to uh, having it as an enemy. And our kids are very proficient with technology uh, and do a fantastic job. And I have seen some of the most, um, we had kids at a middle school create on their iPads uh, in Jody Dunham's class. Uh, we went to the Dallas Zoo. We spent a day at the Dallas Zoo and each of them had different animals that they had to go and find out uh, all their history of what they are, what do they eat, what exercises do they put them through, how do they maintain them. And they used everything on their iPad to create a book. We did an ebook, and we took that ebook and we sent it away to kids who were in impoverished areas who never got to go see a zoo, never got to do anything. And the kids were so, I'd go into that classroom and watch them working with their iPads and drawing and doing art and doing uh, their uh, keyboards, typing out. It was so enthralling to watch how much they loved learning. And, and that's a tool that allowed that learning to go to a whole nother level. I really think technology is the norm now. And I think when you're removing barriers, when you remove technology for some of our students, you create barriers. Um, especially given all of the accessibility features that technology now um, has incorporated. And it's important. Like, it's just a part of lifestyle. What you've got to ensure you do is that you're not just utilizing it to make it fancy. It's got to be useful and it's got to be, I mean, it is our textbook of 2021. It is no longer an opportunity for you not to use it. It's really, how are you going to use it to, to enhance your, your lessons and your activities for the kids? Also, for them to use our kids with dyslexia or our kids who are behind in a Read 180 class and can't read on level, and we sometimes don't want to put them in a classroom with kids at their same level. If you have that text-to-speech reading tool for those kids to use, they don't have to be able to read everywhere. It reads it for them. They listen to it. They're able to follow along uh, in whatever novel they're reading or whatever uh, book they have to cover or text they have to cover. And it allows a kid to not be separated from their peers because they have some gaps. So technology is not just a creativity tool. It is, an, like I said, an accessibility tool to give access to our classrooms to kids who need us. My daughter loves history. 
and she would never be able to one day take AP U.S. history because the amount of reading that you have to do, now she'll be able to because she'll have access to have somebody read it to her. Whereas if you don't allow that opportunity, she's she's not able to do the things that she could do. And not only does she have that accessibility for somebody to read to her, she can choose when they read to her. Yep. I think that's what's so amazing. It's It goes back to student choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need somebody to read this one to me. Then I, I got this other one. And I know that's one of the barriers we often see in special ed, those kids that, that are embarrassed because they do need that extra help. But if we can put an earphone in their ear and let them go after it and, their, and make their choices, um, I think that's so powerful. Uh, one of the things that we're focusing on in the special ed world is we're focusing on our kids being more involved in creating their IEPs. And we're leading all of our orgs with transition. And what are you what are you going to do when you leave this place? With that kind of mentality, how do you think UDL is going to support all of our learners when they do look forward towards when they leave this place? Well, once again, I, I feel that UDL is going to provide tools that they can use not only through school, but when they get out in the business world, when they start their own lives, when they start their own whatever they're going to do at the next level. Uh, we are giving them the confidence, the courage, the uh, intelligence to choose the right tools or to find the right tools to help them be successful in whatever pathway they choose. We have just removed the barrier of you're a special education student. The only thing you're going to be able to do when you finish this is some menial job. Uh, let's get them tools and confidence and the courage to try new things and us find new things for them to have access to the world just like everybody else does and quit labeling kids because of a disability. I think Springer said earlier, you know, bosses have come to us and said they're so compliant, they don't really take risks. I think UDL builds up, like she said, those confidence levels for them to be able to take those risks. So my hope is by focusing, utilizing the UDL framework as we design our lessons, I want to see kids who are more well-rounded when they leave here, ready to step into the workforce and take on those projects where they don't have to have their boss, you know, side by side with them, making sure that they're doing everything step by step. All right. Let me circle back to what we first started talking about. And we've put this UDL in place for our school. Let's talk about the things that you would like to see in the classrooms, like your dream of how this school is going to operate as a UDL-focused campus? Oh, man, I have so many dreams. I mean, I'm, I've been so fired up. Every time I pick up the UDL book and read more, or I listen to a podcast that, that talks more about UDL, I, I envision our school totally different. Um, not because it's not a great school, because it's one of the best schools in the area, but because I began to see, and the teachers began to see, students owning the learning. And teachers aren't worn out at the end of the day because they're trying to do everything. They're trying to manufacture everything. They're trying to uh, tell every kid what to do every second. We now have kids who are coming in who are confident enough to take chances, to take risks. Uh, we, We see classrooms with critical thinking. I love to go watch Socratic seminars and, and listen to kids thinking and it's one of my favorite things to do because I see whole different sides of some shy child that comes out of there that you give them a passionate subject they love, 
they become a whole other person talking about that. Well, I, I see UDL in every classroom changing it from a, the teacher's the sage on the stage, knowing everything, developing everything, building everything, to we are partnerships with kids. Uh, we are teaching them to run our classrooms with us. That we're teaching and giving them the autonomy to build um, a class, like we talked about Jody doing. Build, what do you want to do for this year? What is what issue? Here's the teaks we have to cover and the, and the different topics we have to cover to make sure you get your teaks covered. But how do you want to go about doing that? Man, I want to see teachers with that courage to not be afraid to turn learning over to kids and not feel like by turning learning over to the kids, what if there's something I don't know? Well, guess what? Learn with them. We don't have to know everything. That's the beauty of UDL. You don't, we don't need to know everything. Let's let's learn along with the kids. So that's my vision of this building being about engagement, about accessibility, about uh, learning and producing uh, performance tasks and performance uh, anything we can with assessment that allows them to show us learning in a way that's best manifested through them. I listened to a podcast and I was trying to find it real fast so that I could reference it, but I couldn't. I was afraid I was going to start playing my podcast list on your <laughs> podcast, but. Uh, Nicole the pedagogy. Uh, she's one of my favorite people to listen to, and she had somebody come on. Um, it's been a couple months ago, probably, to talk about UDL specifically and equity. And to me, it is my my long term vision is I'm going to be able to walk into any classroom and I'm going to see an equitable education, no matter what color, what religion, what um, you know. Intelligence level. intelligence level, like all the things, you're going to see a classroom of effort, like it's going to be equal. I see if we can truly, my dream school, you would not have levels of education. My dream school is you would have an English classroom and you would walk in and it wouldn't matter if you had the highest IQ or the lowest IQ, we're all learning the same thing at the, you know, in the classroom together and having discussions and UDL if done correctly, allows that opportunity for that to happen. Um, I just, I'm very passionate about equitable education for all. And, um, you know, we have kids who are very set. They, they will never have to worry about money. And then we have kids who struggle to figure out how they're going to eat dinner tonight in the same classroom. And that right there is already a barrier that makes life harder for them and so UDL removes some of those barriers and allows them the opportunity for success and and that's what I'm most excited about. Ladies I appreciate your time thanks for joining me this morning it's been a wonderful conversation and I look forward to getting this out to everyone else. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. You bet. the next installment of the Big Reset Podcast, where I'll visit with three more educators and discuss more in-depth aspects of universal design for learning. I want to thank today's guests, Laura Springer, the principal at Coppell High School, and Melissa Arnold, the associate principal at Coppell High School. I also want to give a shout out to Monday Hopes for their music, Orange Juice on the Table, available at pixabay.com. I'm your host, Julie Springer, and I hope you have a wonderful day. 
May your coffee be stronger than the learners in your classroom.